The feeling of satisfaction that you get from riding your motorcycle through something difficult is incredible, to say the least. But getting through takes some practice. And of course, practice means things don't always work out, at least when you're practicing. In fact, even if you've practiced and you have the skills, things do go wrong from time to time. And when things go wrong, it usually involves having to pick up your motorcycle after it's fallen over. So today on Adventure Rider Radio's exclusive rider skills program, we have Clinton Smout from Smart Adventures with not one, but five methods to pick up your motorcycle. So out of these five, you should be able to find one or two or maybe all of them that suit your style, perhaps learning them to use in different situations. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Sam Manikin, Simon Austin, Simon Pavey, Charlie Borman, Simon Thomas, Lisa Charvis, Britton Smurf, Graham Jarvis, Chris Birch, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters, cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you the tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, these segments are not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. Now, today on Rider Skills, we've got Clinton Smout, who just came back inside after another riding class at his 100-acre facility for Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada. Clinton has five methods for picking up a motorcycle today, along with a bunch of other tips that should now make life easier and riding more fun. So a common theme when riding adventure bikes, of course, is having to pick it up after it falls over. Now, Clinton, asking you why that happens may sound like a silly question at first, but I just want to touch on this to maybe relieve some of the stigma that's attached to dropping a motorcycle. I mean, I think to begin with, we all recognize the fact that the motorcycle has only two wheels and and won't stand on its own under a certain speed. So the odds are against us right there. But aside from that obvious design flaw with motorcycles, Clinton, why is picking up an adventure motorcycle a common theme? I think mostly because we're not on pavement that often. So if we are off-road, it's the terrain that creates far more of a traction challenge. That's often when I see bikes tip over and when I myself crash. But you're right, Jim. People have this worry that, oh my God, I've crashed and they don't want to admit it. So at the start of the lessons, I say, you know, there's a couple ways to pick it up and we go through those. But I say, you know, this course, if you happen to have a tip over, don't worry about it. It'll bruise your ego more than you and your bike. Mm -hmm. It's so common here that don't worry about it. 
And we're riding these big bikes. That makes it more difficult. So we're sort of, I guess we're kind of pushing the envelope of, of what the bike is really capable of, I guess, in a way. Would, would that make sense compared to what a dirt bike would be? Yes, exactly. And we're, because we're touring, as you say, we've got, you know, the stove and the tent and everything else on there. That makes the weight at slow speeds harder to balance. And if it starts to tip over a little way, it's hard to hold it back up. So let it go. And everybody drops their bike. I mean, obviously, the, the better rider you are, the less you're going to drop your bike, right? But, but I mean, even you drop your bike occasionally, don't you? Oh, do I ever? I'm actually quite an expert at dropping a bike. <laughs> but, you know, you meet people and they say, no, I've never dropped my bike. They either don't ride very much or they're lying. Yeah. Because <laughs> they say there's the two types of motorcyclists, those that have and those that are going to. It's <laughs> almost inevitable, I think, especially if you're an adventure rider and you're off-road. Part of the adventure is getting the bike back up sometimes. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. Well, first of all, I guess the first thing we should jump into is what to do immediately after the drop. So for however the bike has dropped, what, what should we be doing and what, what should we be assessing with that? Well, from the people we've seen drop, including ourselves, men approach it differently than females. Men will leap up as soon as they hit the ground and quickly turn around and look behind them. They're looking for witnesses. That's <laughs> right. Let's eliminate those witnesses. <laughs> and then they try to quickly lift up their bike with their ego and their back. Because if you do it kind of the wrong technique and in a panic lift, oh my God, I got to get this thing back up quickly before my buddies come around the corner and see... You can really hurt your back if you lift, try to lift a big bike the wrong way. Uh, females, we've seen, sometimes they'll crash and they'll get up and kick the bike. It was obviously <laughs> that bike's fault. Mm -hmm. Or their husband will get a slap in the shoulder. You're the idiot that led me down this loose gravel mm -hmm. trail. So there's different approaches, but however you do fall... I think the very first thing once you uh, hit the ground is hopefully your leg is not trapped under it. So young children, we're teaching how to ride. We think it's inevitable that they're going to crash. So it may seem negative teaching, but we tell them, kick a soccer ball if you feel like you're falling over. Get your boot and kick it away from the bike so if it's falling on the right, make sure your right boot is not underneath it when it tips. Mm. And so that's a precaution that we tell people. You know, you're, you're balancing at a stop. So you put down your left foot, hopefully, because your right foot should be up on the brake. But if you put either foot down and the bike starts tilting, if it gets to the point where your boot, foot, leg and knee can't hold that bike and it seems determined to fall over get your leg out of the way kick a soccer ball mm -hmm. and then when the bike drops it doesn't land on your ankle lower leg because that's caused a lot of injury to the little trooper that just fights it i'm gonna hold this bike and you're straining groin muscles lower back leg 
and you end up underneath it anyway. Mm-hmm. So I think if it's gravity is winning, get your leg out of the way. Just kind of open your legs and let the thing fall. Yeah, and I mean, you can ease it down. I, I can remember trying to hold it up every time it falls over and, and you know, getting my leg caught or getting my pant leg caught as I'm trying to, to ease it down. But you can, you can try and support it a little bit as it goes down, I guess. That, that might yes. help. Yeah, minimize the impact speed may mm-hmm. reduce some parts or scratches, but But not at really, the expense of your leg or anything else. Exactly. Think how long an ankle, even if it's really bruised and sprained, that's probably six weeks before you could ride safely again. Mm-hmm. You know, you break a tib-fib in a zero-kilometer fall. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I think you have five ways for us to pick up a motorcycle that you're going to talk to us yeah. about today. You're going to talk us through this. You have the butt-backwards lift, the handlebar lift, the uh, crash bar rock and lift. Yeah. Um, and then the power throttle turn lift, which this is, that'll be fun. Uh, and then the mechanical apparatus that we can use to lift up the bikes. So that's great. We're, we'll get into all of these. So um, wh- what's the first thing to do? It, it, you, know, I, well, you always say, let your friend go first, don't you? Well, this would be bad. So it'd be nice if your friend was behind you. Oh, you this is the exception to the rule of it letting is. your friend go first. I like yeah, this. You should go first if you're planning on crashing. But <laughs> it, um, in all seriousness, we tell people on tour and our customers, you know, there's eight of you and there's a lead rider and a sweep. We're not going to see every crash. And maybe if you're, you know, spread out a little, you've got an SOS kind of beacon on your bike. Beep the horn, one long beep, one short beep, and a long beep. That means, hey, I need some help. Come back and help me lift up my bike. Hmm. Because that's the best option. If you're a solo rider or your friend has their tunes coming from their bike into their helmet and they don't hear your horn, there might be the option that you have to pick up your bike by yourself, especially if you're an adventure rider, because you might be in a desolate area with not a lot of other traffic around. So that's an option. But I think the first thing is when you stand back up, if you can, make sure you're okay. Mm -hmm. Now, adrenaline is a pretty neat hormone. It can mask injury. Because I think maybe historically there's a saber-toothed tiger chasing you. You can still run with a broken ankle. That's a survival of the fittest type hormone. Mm -hmm. But once adrenaline subsides, it unmasks the injury. So we say, you know, if your bike's on the ground, there's a couple things you should do. First of all, not panic. Turn around and look behind you. If you're in traffic and there's a tons of other cars and trucks coming towards you, get out of there. I don't care about my bike. They make dozens of them every day some, somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I would hope is that another vehicle will kind of stop and block traffic with their four-way flashers. I'll put my four-ways on when the bike's on the ground if I have them. This is the same thing you'll find with any sort of emergency thing. It's always assess the situation before you do anything, which makes perfect sense. Because like you say, the last thing you want to do is get hurt. 
if you're if you were in traffic or if you're off road in the dirt, you know, you to to assess yourself. That all makes perfect sense. So yes. these these lifts that we're going to get into now. So now we're talking about you have no friends. <laughs> you're yes. riding by you're yourself. By yourself. Which, you, which you shouldn't be, of course. You know, yes. We always you know recommend that, right? We're Lots always recommended that. Yeah. Yes. And and um, but the thing is, you're going to walk through these. Now, uh, what's the what's the order that we're going in here? Is there a hierarchy to these methods? Will you start with the, yeah, the most commonly de- used? Yeah, I think it depends on the terrain you've crashed on, which we'll elaborate on later. How does it change when it's in mud and sand? Because it okay. may be more likely that that's where you crash. Is it the same procedure? No, it's different. Okay, so we're just oh. going to start with the the butt backwards, which yeah. is probably, I guess, what, what we say. That's the most common one. Yeah, mm-hmm. but just before we get into those, I think one thing you should do is if you are in traffic, there's people coming up behind you. That's very important. Four ways, get out of the way until somebody stops. If you have a carbureted bike and it's lying on the ground, it's now peeing gasoline all over the pavement or the dirt. So for your own traction when you go to lift and for the environment, if you have a carbureted bike, shut your fuel off. It takes two Mm -hmm. seconds to turn the fuel tap to the off position. If the bike is still running in gear, uh, I've seen people panic I got to get my bike back up quick. It's in second gear with the back wheel still turning. Shut the engine off with the kill switch. So your lights stay on, but the engine's dead. Because I've seen people do that ego panic, quick lift without Mm -hmm. pulling in the clutch. The bike takes off and crashes another few yards away. (laughs) Now you're really tired. Yeah, so (laughs) shut the bike off, shut the fuel off. Then we can get into, so this butt on the seat thing, I'm sure people have seen it. You face away from the bike, you're standing maybe a foot away from it, and you crouch backwards until your butt's on the seat of the bike. So just to be clear here, your your position is in the middle of the bike and you're facing away from the bike. The bike is leaned towards you. Exactly. And so let's say it it fell on the left side. You're on the left side of your bike and you sit down on the seat, kind of on the edge of the seat. And then with your right hand, you grasp the left handlebar grip. Your left hand is on some kind of bar, you know, a passenger grab rail, side bag mount, something like that. Mm Mm-hmm. And the idea is, as you get a, dig your heels into the soil or get good traction on the pavement, and as you straighten your legs, pull with your arms, push upwards, lifting with your legs, because the legs are our biggest muscles. They're much stronger than your lower back muscles. So we want to keep our back as straight as possible. And then oomph the bike backwards, moving your feet backwards as you're doing it. And that stands the bike back up, in theory. Mm-hmm. If you were on the right-hand side, if the bike fell to the right, you, you said before, flip the, uh, the side stand out. So that exactly. when you do walk it backwards, it will stop on the side stand. But otherwise, you have to be quite careful as you get it back to that balance point that it doesn't flop over the other side. And I think we've all exactly. sort of seen that happen. I've done it myself. (laughs) Me too. 
Yeah. So that's part of assessing the situation. You know, is it safe? Is there traffic diverging around me at highway speeds? Get that, get out of there. But if you've taken 30 seconds to kind of look and plan how you're going to do this, putting the side stand down, if you can, you're going to lift it, lift it upwards onto the side stand. That's a great kind of pre-lift idea. And it makes it easier and safer. The other thing is you said that you, you shut it off and, and what you said was leave the ignition on, hit the kill switch, and that's fine. Should we be making sure that it's in gear as well? Absolutely. And, okay. Yeah, because sometimes a bike will fall on the left. And if the gear shifter was in first, I've seen them click into neutral. So have a look at your dashboard. If the green light's on for neutral, if you can get at it, put it into first gear. Otherwise, you have to hold the wrong side of the handlebar when it falls to the left because you have to hold the front brake on to lift it. Mm -hmm. Or in some instances, if it is in neutral and I cannot get at the gear shifter because it's underneath the bike when it falls left, I carry a six-inch piece of flexible Velcro so I can pull my front brake on and lock it in the on position. So now I don't have to touch the right side of the handlebar oh. when lifting. Oh, that's good. I like that. So you just wrap the Velcro strap around the brake lever and you've got the brake on full for the front brake. Exactly. So Great. that stays in the left pocket of my riding gear. Now, most of my bikes have a bark buster because I want to protect my hands and levers in a fall because right. I fall so often. Barkbuster is, is, a, is a brand, but it's a, it's a guard that goes yeah, around. And I think most people know what it is. It's the guard yeah. of the metal bar, with usually with a plastic cover on it that covers yes. the fr in front of your fingers on the handlebars. Now, if I'm on a bike without that, I take one of my gloves off and I envelop the glove over top of the front brake and the handlebar. And most of my gloves have a Velcro wrist closure to tighten it around your wrist. I use the Velcro to tighten my glove around the front brake lever in the handlebar. Mm. So my glove now is locking the handlebar or the front brake on. Right. Oh, okay. Well, another it's another little tip. trick. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay, so that, so that way when we lift it up, it doesn't roll away. That's the obvious thing, and, and nothing is yes. worse than that. It's starting to get it up a little bit, and then it rolls even just a foot. We'll, we'll throw everything off, and you'll drop the bike back down and be back in, at square one again. It's funny because when, when you said about lifting it up too far past the balance point, having it fall over, I, I remember doing that in snow before, and I must have done it about four times. And by yep. the time by the last time, I'm just about spent. I, I can't lift the bike up hardly anymore exactly. because it's so difficult to do. But yes. the, So the butt backwards, you, you said, you know, it, it's the common one it makes a lot of sense it takes the strain off of our back puts it in our in our legs um it may not be the one that we can necessarily use all the time and i guess you're going to get to that but oh, okay yes. so are we ready to move on to the next one yeah just that it works best Okay, we're going to take a quick break here. I've got two things that I want to tell you about that I know you're going to be interested in. After that, we're going to talk about more methods for picking up the bike and a lot more tips. So stay with us.
Well, in a few months, we will have been doing this for 10 years. So it was all it was over nine years ago when we started up. And we were looking for the, the most interesting stories we could find. That's what we started doing. We still do that. Now, we found a guy named Rene Cormier. Rene's story was incredibly interesting. He had traveled the world on a budget of $25 a day, ran out of money halfway around the world. He had all kinds of adventures. He ended up taking five years to do it. And he wrote a fantastic book called The University of Gravel Roads. And he went around doing talks everywhere people would listen. People bought his book. It fueled him even more. So he decided what he really wanted to do in life was show others what he'd found on the road. He started a company. It's called Renadian Adventures. That's a melding, I think, of his name, Rene, and the fact that he's Canadian, Renadian Adventures. That was 13 years ago. Renadian Adventures has grown incredibly since then. And I, and I think really their, their success is because Renee's passion comes through in all of his trips. And that melded with this amazing organization that he's done. I mean, these trips are highly detailed. He said that if you were to ask him, you know, what the bathroom detail was on day 11, you know, in the afternoon, he can tell you exactly what that is like. These trips are that well planned. They do trips in Africa, Mongolia, New Zealand, South America, Scotland, and even Canada. And Renee works with his wife, as well as a long-term group of dedicated guides and support people that are all passionate about showing people what they've found in motorcycle travel. So they usually run under 10 bikes and use boutique-style upscale accommodations, which means that you get an incredible adventure during the day, and then you get a really nice place to stay at night. So that's a a very cool adventure. They have full-time staff in South Africa, Canada, and the U.S., they run mainly BMWs, and Rene is at the heart of it, as I said. You know, he spends a good de- good deal of his time on the trips guiding. Their website is renadian.com. Just think of that melding of his name, Rene and Canadian, renadian.com. Of course, that link's on our website. You can find it there as well. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard him here on Adventure Rider Radio, renadian.com. It was back in March of 2019. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to this. We had a couple on the show that traveled the world, two up on a KTM 640. Their names were Heidi and David Winters. On that trip, David broke his wrist. David is the rider. Heidi is the pillion. It's actually quite a story. And David had to ride because he's the only one that could operate the bike. And he's in a cast. I'm not going to give you all the details here. You can go and listen to that episode. But he got very frustrated with it. And then he decided to get a throttle lock so it would hold the throttle on for him. But he couldn't find anything that would work very well. He was very frustrated with it. So when he got back from the trip, when they returned, he set out to make a throttle lock for himself. He was going to design his own throttle lock. And well, he got really into this. I mean, taking it to the nth degree. And what he ended up with was just this beautiful design that as soon as others thought, they said they wanted one as well. Well, the rest is history. He turned it into a business. He called it the Atlas Throttle Lock. This thing, I have one on my bike, is not only a thing of beauty, but it's just so well designed. It looks like it's, it's something out of, uh, out of the factory that built your bike, really, is what it looks like. Clamps onto any bike. It's easy to move from one to the other. It's got two beautifully designed buttons on it that give a tactile feedback. When you press on them, you know exactly what they're doing. Engage and disengage. That's what the two buttons do. And when it's engaged, you can adjust the throttle just by twisting it, and it holds the new position. It is a beautiful device that will change your ride. Just looking at it and using it, you can feel David's passion for riding in it. AtlasThrottleLock.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. AtlasThrottleLock.com. Get to that. 
Bardo. Okay, yes. so are we ready to move on to the next one? Yeah, just that it works best if the particular motorcycle is only three quarters of the way tipped over. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, Jim, is if you've got big, wide engine guards on the front of the bike, or perhaps you've got your saddlebags on, when the bike leans over and falls, both tires are still on the ground. And the bike's really only three quarters of the way over. So it's perfect for the backwards butt lift on the seat. Right. The exception would be a lot of my times when I crash, I don't have saddlebags on. And I may have very small engine guards on the bike. So that means when it falls over, the only part of the motorcycle on the ground is the left handlebar, let's say, and the axle of the rear wheel. Just laying flat. It's flat. So we'll call that a naked bike for lack of a better term. There's no bags or big engine guards. Mm -hmm. Now... That seat is way closer to the ground, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's much harder if you're sitting almost on the ground. The backwards butt lift is much, much harder. It's like you need that first foot or so to get in a position so you can actually stand up. Otherwise, you're too crunched. Exactly. So it doesn't work for me on most of the bikes I'm riding because I'm not teaching or if I'm on a day trip, I hate carrying saddlebags. I just have my tool bag, first aid kit, and maybe a tank bag. That's it. If I'm just going out for the day, I don't need sleeping bag, tent, stove, everything else. Mm-hmm. So often the butt backwards lift doesn't work for me. Plus, I'm six feet tall, although I'm shrinking as I age. I think I'm five eleven and three quarters now. Is that how you tell your age now? By, by checking yes. your height? That's right. And with longer legs, the butt backwards is harder if the naked bite is flat on the ground. Mm, Right. It's just physics, the way it works. So this segues us into the next one, which is called the handlebar lift. Yeah. And I didn't really do that much until I became an adventure bike instructor. And I don't even want to say the brand because I know People think I talk about the German brand too much, but... I don't know which one that is, Clint. I have no idea. Yeah. So (laughs) they taught us a handlebar lift method. And we should caution listeners, if you have a bike that has the very, very tall ape hanger bar, so your fists are about eye level when you're seated. I know some people love that style of bike. That handlebar was not designed to lift a motorcycle by the bar. It doesn't have usually a metal cross member that goes from the left side of the bar loop to the right. That cross member gives it a lot of engineering structural support if you wanted to lift it by the handlebar. Yeah, I see. So plus a lot of motorcycles don't come with what's called a double wall thick metal handlebar, either aluminum or steel. So that bar, we call them butter bars at our school. An economical dirt bike comes with a pretty inexpensive bar. It's worth $40 to replace it. That's the first thing I take off that bike. And I put a $100, $150 
double-walled aluminum bar on. And there's lots of brand names, Pro Taper, all kinds of them. You're not going to bend that bar either in a crash, unless it's a horrendous crash off a cliff or something, or you won't bend an enduro bar by lifting it. So are there bikes that would be considered adventure bikes in the market now sold with bars that are that soft that you wouldn't be able to pick it up? None that I've come across. Even what's thought of as a pretty inexpensive option in entering our world would be the Royal Enfield Himalaya. You know, in Canada, that bike's about Mm $9,000, which how much is that in the States, Jim? That's like 2,000 US. (laughs) I think it's like six or something like that. Yeah, but that bike is a, a great option for any level of rider. It's fun. I've ridden them quite a bit now. And uh, it has a pretty good bar on it because that's the components I look at. Okay, this thing's pretty inexpensive. Why? Often it's foot pegs, quality of chain, quality of tires, rims. The structural components that I end up working on are still pretty good on that, including the bars. So so the handlebar lift, providing you've got your average motorcycle, not one that's been modified with one of the, the ape hanger styles, the handlebar lift is an option. It's, it, now, this is this is like completely, well, backwards to what you just talked about, the butt backwards one. Yes. So with the handlebar method, let's say again, our motorcycle's fallen to the left on the side stand gear shifter side. Mm-hmm. It's down on the ground. If it's in neutral, I'll wrap my Velcro around the brake or my glove to hold the brake on because I'm going to have both hands on the left clutch side of the handlebar, which means if it's in neutral, the bike rolls away as I'm trying to lift it and you're not going to be able to lift it very successfully. If it's in gear or it's immobilized with something on the brake, that's perfect. Then... In this particular description, we've got pretty good traction under our tires and our boots. And then what I'll do, if it's fallen on the left side, with it on the ground, the first thing I'll do is turn the handlebars all the way to the left. We call it full lock. Oh, sorry. So So you're on the left side. Yeah. And I'm turning the wheel and the handlebars to the right. So now my left bar is as far away from the rest of the body of the motorcycle as possible. The easy way to to picture that is is you're turning the wheel up. So the front of the wheel is up. Great description. I'm going to change that in my lesson. Make sure your (laughs) wheel is pointing up. Now, it's at full lock. The reason we do this, if the bike's handlebars are kind of centered, when you try to lift... The first input is one foot of free travel before the handlebar locks. You lose all your momentum and input. So the bars have to be at full lock before you start to lift the bike. Now I'm standing close enough to the bike that as I lift, the handlebars don't hit me in the crotch. But you can't be too far away from the bike. Because now you're lifting it with your back, not your legs. Because your arms are stretched out too far from the bike. Mm. So you're, I don't know, maybe a foot or so away from the bar that's on the ground. 
Your boots are shoulder width apart with the handlebar kind of centered in between them. Then what you do is bend over, bending the knees. That's really important. You can't bend over with a straight leg because now you're lifting it with your lower back. And that's a great way to hurt your back. So you're squatting down, almost like you're putting your, your hands between your knees as you're squatting down. Exactly. Great description. Then there's two stages to this. In this scenario, our back and possibly our front tire aren't even on the ground. They're in the air. That's how flat this naked bike is. Mm -hmm. So step one is I just want to gently lift. I'm actually just tilting, not lifting. I'm tilting so the rubber of the tires now on the ground. Then I pause there, deep breath, and I rock backwards onto the heel. So my toes of my boots are in the air. And then as I thrust upwards, I'm changing my body angle. So now my toes are digging into the ground. My heels come off the ground. And I thrust upwards with arm and leg strength. And that lifts the motorcycle up. And as I push my arms away from me, the motorcycle stands upright. And it's so successful because leverage. Apparently, the Egyptians were very good at this building all the pyramids. Leverage reduces the strength required to lift the motorcycle. So when your butt is against the frame and the seat of the bike, you don't have any leverage. The middle of the handlebar to the outside is a foot and a half, two feet long. That gives us leverage. That's mm. the secret to the bar lift method. And, and what's interesting with that bar lift method, what you just described there, is you're not using your back and you're using momentum by, by, your, by your description of rocking backwards and then rolling forward and using that momentum of your body to help at least it helped with the inertia of getting the bike lifted. Exactly. That's what really helps. And we've taught this at motorcycle shows. I'll get a volunteer from the crowd to come out and lift a big, heavy bike utilizing this method. I should get them to sign a waiver first. I never thought about that. Until <laughs> yeah, now. Really. But, but anyway, it really works. So I, I'm curious, Clinton, because that, that sounds like a, a really good way to lift what would you recommend as sort of the first choice, the handlebar or the butt backwards? Yeah, it really depends on how your bike is configured and the terrain you're on. That's the choice I make. If my bike's only three quarters of the way over, the butt method backwards works great. Okay, but you would, so you would prefer that yes. the butt backwards then. If you can do it, that's what you do. Yes, but okay. most of the times I'm using the handlebar lift because I don't have great big wide crash guards or bags on my bike when I crash. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. So both great lifts. And, and like you said, you're not using your back, you're using your legs. That, that's obviously, I mean, I think everybody understands that from, you know, all the things that have been drilled into our head from probably from, from work safe, that sort of thing. Yes. And it's so prevalent. I did some consulting with the Toronto police that use Harleys mm -hmm. and they have a rule that if an officer is in calling distance close by and you're not in danger or anything, 
leave the bike on the ground until a friend can come and help you lift it. Because a number of officers were off work with back injuries from trying to lift. That's a 900-pound motorcycle. It's not like they're lifting 900 pounds off the ground, but it's still a very heavy bike. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, probably a, a good mindset for us when we're out riding is is never try and pick it up by yourself. Because I think a lot of us, I mean, you described that, you know, that, that ego thing where you drop your bike and you want to get it picked up as soon as you can. But it's probably better if you work out with your friends and say, okay, if we drop a bike, let's use at least two people. Because there's, first of all, there's less chance of injury. But second of all, you just save your energy. Because let's face it, no matter how strong you are, picking up your bike is a lot of work, yeah, a lot of energy. It- it can really fatigue you. And what sometimes happens, you're fatigued. The mind's a little scrambled. Maybe you're talking to yourself. Oh, you idiot. You grab the front brake again. So your physical strength is a little bit down. Mentally, are you prepared to carry on on this difficult trail or road? It can accumulate quickly into the second crash. Mm-hmm. So if you get your bike back up, move it off to the side or rotor trail, take some time. That's something I'd love to elaborate on as to why we should do that later when we talk about some tips and safety. Okay, well, um, so that that's the, the butt backwards lift and the handlebar lift. Both sound great. Now you have the crash bar rock and lift. What is yeah. that? I just mentioned the police. When I did training... They said to me, Clinton, have you ever seen that method? So the Harley Davidsons that most police departments use, they come equipped with light siren and a very big round shaped crash bar or engine guard at the front of the bike. The rounded edge is such that if we're crashing during any kind of speed, you don't want to square crash guard, obviously, because the point digs in and then flips the motorcycle up Mm. and over. This is why I speak up when I see people that put highway pegs onto their crash guards in the wrong position. Because when you fold up the highway peg, actually it's a square bar often. Oh, right. And that just, oh, I see what you're saying. That makes sense. You just defeated the purpose of having a rounded curved shape, which will scrape down the pavement or gravel. You Mm -hmm. just stuck a square end. That's the first contact point in a crash. Right. It's almost designed to catch. And it will do that very well. And rider and bike will flip end over end then. Three Mm -hmm. times the damage and potential injury. So be, have a look at what I do if I get someone and they don't believe me. I'll put my coat down, lay their motorcycle down on the ground and prove to them. See this square bar sticking out? That's the first thing that's going to dig in. All you have to do is move that. I'm against highway pegs anyway. I think when your feet are away from the brake and the shifter, you're a second longer in an emergency getting to the brake or downshifting than I am. So if your legs are tired, you've either bought the wrong bike that's not designed ergonomically for your stature, or pull over and walk around, stretch it out, get the blood moving. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like highway pegs. Makes sense, yep. Yes. Okay, so crash bar, rock, and lift. Yeah, sorry. 
But what the police did is they had one hand on the left grip, their left hand on the clutch side when it fell on the left. The other hand was on a bar at the back of the bike, kind of a bag protection crash bar. Yeah. And then they rolled the bike towards them, rocked it towards them on the round crash guard, and then oomphed it upwards. So it's kind of similar to the handlebar method. I use my boots where I go from digging my heels in, my toes are off the ground. Then I rock forward onto my toes to get momentum. They're doing it with a rolled portion of the crash guard. So as they roll it over towards them, you get momentum and energy rolling it quickly up. And they lift with their arms, legs, and back, and the motorcycle stands up. I'd never seen that before, but it was pretty wow. cool. And I'm not familiar with that one at all. That sounds interesting, but is that going to work with every bike or no. is that sort of, yeah, okay. You need those big, and these stick out outside the engine. Uh, quite round and they're quite large. Plus, what was pointed out to me is they don't own that bike, do they? So <laughs> if they scratch up the engine guards, yeah, who cares? Yeah, whatever. I was just thinking the same thing because I was thinking if I had a, a street bike like that, like you're describing, you know, maybe a big Harley or something, I don't think I'm going to be quick to pick it up like that at all. I'm going to say stop. Let's pick this thing up as carefully as possible without damaging anything, yes. without scratching it worse than what I've already done. Exactly. But, uh, but okay, so that, that's, that's great for, for some that have the big crash bar. The next one that you have, power throttle and turn lift. Yes. What is that? It came on YouTube three, four years ago. I saw that. Holy smokes, that's amazing. I've got to try that. Now, I haven't yet, but I'm going to this afternoon, Jim. And I'll have one of my fellow instructors videotape it for the show notes. So you'll see it in action. And what it is, your bike's on the ground. Big adventure bike. What the person I saw on YouTube do is with it on the ground, they pulled the clutch in and fired it up. They were standing, on, let's say again, the bike's fallen to the left. It's in first gear. It's on the ground and the tire's off the ground even. What they do is they turn the handlebars full lock to the left and when both hands are on the bars they simultaneously drop the clutch and hammer the throttle as they lift so as soon as the back tire bites it starts digging in a semicircle to the left as it gets bite and it's getting some traction they simply lean the bike up a little bit further and power on the throttle. So the back wheel digs deeper and it stands the bike up. They sit on its side saddle and drive away and then swing their leg over. It's pretty impressive to watch. It's it's kind of, I mean, I think I would like to call this the hero pickup. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the one that makes you look so impressive. Yeah. But this is not a, a pickup that I've ever tried before. I have seen it. Now, I guess the, the whole idea is that just as you're about to drop the clutch and give it some throttle, you're rocking it onto the rubber. Yes. So that you're not having it scrape along the side or spin around in a, in a bit of a circle. 
So there's a, quite a bit of coordination here. You got to be pretty comfortable with your bike. Yeah. And I think there's some upper body strength involved because you've got to lift up that bike at the same time. So I don't know if I'm strong enough or coordinated, but I'm game to try it this afternoon. Maybe we should put it on video, uh, even if I'm not successful. And put it in the show notes. Okay, yeah, that's, that sounds like I'm a good sure idea. those YouTube guys didn't film the very first time they did it, but that might be fun for people. Yeah. <laughs> the first 30 times. Okay, well, let's take a break. When yes. we come back, we're going to talk about uh, mechanical apparatuses to lift. So yes. these are things that, that you can use to assist you. So stay with Perfect. us and we'll be back with that. And we're also going to talk about a lot more safety tips and, and then different situations as well. So stay with us. Excellent. Okay, two things in one here, something for all riders, I think. First, if you ride a BMW, you definitely want to look at the GS911. The GS911 is sort of like a window into the back room of your motorcycle, the computers, the areas normally only seen by BMW service techs. The GS911 is a diagnostic tool for BMW motorcycles that gives you an insight that you would have had to be at a dealership. So now you can check the health of your BMW, see the fault codes, do diagnostic work yourself, reset service reminders, all from your pocket. It fits in your pocket. It connects to your smartphone. So where you go, it goes. So that fear of being stuck in the middle of nowhere with a dead modern motorcycle, at least a BMW, is gone due to the GS911. It is your special key to get things going again. Hexinnovate.com is the website. Now, I said I had two things in one. This thing is for everyone else who has a modern motorcycle, one with a CAN bus system. This is for hooking up accessories like lights and, well, any, any sort of electrical accessory. This is called the Easy Can, E-Z-C-A-N or E-Z-C-A-N, depending on where you are. This little device plugs into your motorcycle passively, meaning it won't mess anything up on your computers, yet it connects all kinds of accessories to your motorcycle without adding switches or running tons of wires. You basically hook this thing up to the battery, you plug it in, and all your accessories can run off of this. This saves you so much, like the connections to the batteries. It also saves you the hassle of finding that your batteries are dead because you've wired stuff directly to the battery and left them on. None of that will happen. You use your factory switches to control your accessories. There are so many options with the Easy Can. If you have a modern motorcycle, go to the hexinnovate.com website and look at the Easy Can and what it can do for you for hooking up any accessories. It's a plug and play system, it's available for a ton of motorcycles. Hexinnovate.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Hexinnovate.com. We've all heard about the importance of peg weighting. We talk about it on the show all the time. Why? Because those tiny little platforms are the key to stability and control of your motorcycle. But to get the most out of them, you need quality, well-designed foot pegs that add width for increased leverage, increased connection between your boot and your peg, and are incredibly tough. So where do you find it? IMS Products. IMS has been around since 1976. They have supplied off-road racers the entire time. And almost every off-road racer that stood on the podium is running some sort of IMS part. And that pedigree is in the full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs that IMS products makes. Everything from their large ADV-1 and ADV-2 pegs down to the core Enduro series, pegs have been designed for every riding style. Now, the quality can be seen in the confidence IMS products has in their own products because 
All of these adventure motorcycle foot pegs are made with cast certified stainless steel. They're made in the USA and they're warranted for life. That's amazing. IMS Products is owned and operated by riders just like us. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Okay, so we're back now with mechanical apparatuses, what we're getting into. What do you mean mechanical apparatuses? Well, I, I saw one, such, one setup, Jim, at a bike show where the, the downside is it weighed 16 pounds. Ooh. And once you crashed, hopefully it wasn't in the saddlebag that's on the ground. So you pretty well <laughs> have to strap it to the back of your seat. And what you do is you assemble this apparatus with pins until it's about three feet tall and it has a foot on the bottom that digs into the ground or pavement, gives you a little traction. And then if you can imagine, there was a strap that comes down with a hook on it. So the concept was you would open up the strap, release the strap, put the hook on a foot peg or a lower frame part of your motorcycle and it had a lever, you would then, almost kind of like an old-fashioned jack that our dad's car would have, a bumper jack. Mm -hmm. So now you ratchet the strap tighter and tighter, and as you do so, your motorcycle is lifting up to the point where it's three-quarters of the way up, and it's very easy for you then to grab the handlebars and stand it the rest of the way up. Right. And the post that you've assembled, what it's doing is it's digging that foot, as you said, into the ground, and then it's actually touching the bike as well. So yes. that's sort of holding it from falling over. And then it's just a ratchet strap, just like the kind that everybody sees for putting cargo on your, your vehicle right. and ratcheting up the ratchet strap hooked up on the top part of the bar. And then the bottom one, as you described, the hook onto the bike. It seems simple enough yeah. to, um, to do it. And it certainly gives you some other options. What I'm thinking is you could, because you could take that ratchet strap and do something different with it. You could maybe, if there was a tree or something else, off to the opposite side of the where the bike fell, hook it to the frame, and then try and stand it up that way or assist yes. to stand the bike up that way. That's what I thought. Or maybe your back wheel's buried in soft sand or mud. Um, if you put a piece of wood down and get some purchase for the foot of this mechanical apparatus, you might be able to jack your bike up and then mm. swing it out of the hole, something like that. So it has different applications. I've yeah. never purchased one, but they demonstrated it with a fallen bike at a motorcycle show in Montreal years ago. And I thought, that's a neat idea. If I get to the age where I can't lift my bike and I still want to ride a big bike, maybe that's something I'll look into. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think it's it's interesting. It, it is a little bit to carry. There, there's no doubt. And, and like 16 pounds, that one, I, I think there might be some lighter ones out now. And you could certainly, I mean, I guess you could consider carbon fiber if you were to sure. try and make up your own, something like that. But I do like the idea that if you have a, the strap so that it's just a, a normal strap, normal ratchet strap, how many other options it gives you to use that strap. And it could even be used for holding on broken panniers or something. You know what I mean? Yes. As, as we think of these extra things that... Um, that it can be that you can use things for the duplicate um, applications of whatever it is you're carrying. Right now, I did have a friend Rob who um, contracted multiple sclerosis, and he was a friend of mine that was a passionate off-road rider, and he still wanted to ride, 
But when he crashed, because he rode aggressively and he rode off-road, he physically, he, it was all he could do to get himself back up, but it was beyond his strength, remaining coordination and strength to lift the bike. So he had one of these apparatus. I never saw him use it, but he said that was the only way that with his deteriorating physical strength that he could continue riding with with some confidence that he could get out of that situation because he rode alone too. Wow. Well, and certainly it, it would be worth carrying the weight if you ever hurt your back. And, yes. And anyone, anyone who's done that trying to lift a bike. I still stand by, I, I don't understand why manufacturers can't build in some sort of very lightweight little legs that will go down hydraulically to lift your bike up. You know, Wouldn't like that arm. be cool? Oh yeah. Yeah. Make it, make it a carbon fiber weighs nothing. And maybe it's pneumatics that operate it. And it, and it just pushes the bike right up. I mean, it would make dropping no problem. Matter of fact, you could do it when you stop Yes. <laughs> instead of, instead of your kickstand, why bother your kickstand? Your legs go just down and you get off the bike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They do have those. I saw it in Florida with a gentleman came in on a Goldwing and he stopped. And as it was like landing gear came down and supported the the motorcycle upright, he didn't have a side stand. And it was electronic that a company had adapted to his bike. An elderly gentleman, and he said, you know, if this thing tips over and sometimes I can't even lift it off the side stand, this landing gear thing was the solution for him. So I think as our riding population ages, we might see more of this kind of contraptions that evolve to help us continue riding. I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think we've talked before about, I mean, my suggestion has always been, my thought process has always been a bar and and a couple of places that you could stick a bar in for leverage, much like like you're describing with the handlebar lift, only you're getting even more leverage. I don't know how practical that is because I've never really done it myself. I keep thinking about it. Um, I don't really, I don't really need it right yet, but it would be handy for low traction situations. I mean, just generally make things easier. But are are you aware of anything else like that available on the market? I haven't come across it, but we could probably patent something and then retire. It's a great idea. (laughs) We'll make a note of that. We'll have to talk about that after we're done. Yes. Of course. But uh, okay. So um, where do we go from here? Well, there's special circumstances with what we've discussed so far, you know, the butt on the seat, the handlebar. There's complications for adventure bikes. If you're not on flat ground, with great traction, what we've talked about doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So you've got to kind of adapt to the situation. But where we teach is we often teach stopping on a hill and how do you turn around and go backwards? We've talked about that. But that often (laughs) means that people crash during that lesson. Tons of people fall when they're trying to stop on a hill. They use the wrong brake. We just say, uh, use the back brake, leave the clutch out. But if they use the front brake, then it may slide backwards and they end up tipping over. So let's envision you're facing uphill and your bike's falling over. If, you know, there's very little damage it, because that's a really slow speed fall usually. Mm-hmm. I'll look if it's, If it's all jagged rocks, I may not do this. But if it's a grassy hill, I don't lift up the bike with the front tire facing uphill. That seems crazy because I'm going to turn around and go back down anyway. 
Because the likelihood of you being able to continue up the hill you've just crashed on. Yeah, it's like no chance. Moving off from a stop on a hill on a heavy bike, soft terrain, you're just going to dig a hole. Mm-hmm. It's pretty hard. So we, we recommend turn around safely, go back down, either hit it again, or you should have let your friend go first and not even attempted the hill when mm-hmm. he crashed. But what I would do if it's fallen uphill and it's not going to damage my bike by doing this, I tilt the front wheel up and I rotate the front wheel with my gloves on, keeping my fingers away from the rotor. And I just spin the bike around till it's facing downhill. Yeah, I love this because I, I think most times you'll hear people say they just grab the front wheel and drag the bike around. But your method of using the front wheel to drive the bike around, I think is very cool and, and much easier on you. Yeah, just don't get your fingers caught in the brakes. Yes, that makes sense. Having Guess how I know that one, Jim. <laughs> yeah. So then once it's facing down here, downhill, hopefully it's in gear. If not, put it in gear or put your brake lock on. And then it's smarter because once you now lift it, you don't have to turn around. You can lift it by the handlebar or the butt backwards method. And sometimes because the bike's on a slope pointing downhill, it can be a little easier to lift. The Mm -hmm. weight just seems to want to go with gravity downhill. So it helps. Well, it's kind of like you described the the, the bike isn't, it's almost like it's not laying flat because the hill's lifting it up some. Yes. Uh, You know, as far as gravity goes anyway, not so much for your, the the distance to the ground, but as far as gravity goes, uh, Yes. It's less to lift up, yeah. Now, if, if it's facing downhill when you crash, maybe you're riding downhill and it crashes, then just repeat what we just talked about. So picking it up on a hill can be easy as long as it's in gear and the engine's off because then that holds it there and gravity doesn't take it away as you go to lift it up. I like your idea with the front brake and the Velcro because uh, there, there was one particular time I, I remember I had a, a, quite a bit of trouble picking my bike up. It wasn't even the, that a difficult spot. It was a, a trail that was sort of a switchback. It was muddy and there were some roots there and I dropped the bike. And every time I went to pick this thing up, it would pop out of gear on me. So I would, I would, get, I would get my hand, it's on the gear shift, it's on the left side. So I would get down there and get the thing in gear. And then it seemed like every time I lift up, there was something the way the, the ground was crested and the way the bike was sitting because it was, it was sort of, you know, um, it's not flat, that every time I pick it up, it would pop into neutral and the bike would roll down. And of course, I would drop it again. And of course, you know, two or three times of that, again, I'm, I'm fatigued, right? Yeah, I'm just going to leave the bike here. <laughs> exactly. That's where I wanted a friend. Yes. I was, I was by myself. But, um, but if, on a hill, like if you were actually on a hill, on a hill climb, having it pop out of gear, that, that could be a serious issue for yeah. you. It'll go back down to the bottom by itself, yes. The only thing I didn't mention, Jim, is when you're back on the bike, you're starting it up, you're ready to go, remember to take the Velcro off the front brake or it'll quickly <laughs> be another crash. <laughs> what, what about, um, well, the situations that I was just describing there, because I think I've told you before that I have this this knack for um, dropping my bike or crashing in spots that are never flat. <laughs> it's yes. either, and it always seems to be nose down into some swamp or something like that that makes it difficult. So what about those, those situations? Yeah, uh, the one I was going to add with the hill is sometimes our bike crashes maybe on the side of a slope and it tumbles a little. If it ends up upside down, that adds a little wrinkle to it. But usually 
will have the strength if it's literally upside down on the handlebars and the seat, we've got the strength to continue tipping it downhill. Mm. So the tires are on the ground or close to the ground anyway. It's just lying on its side. Now, an added wrinkle is most motorcycles when they're upside down, especially modern bikes, the manufacturers don't want the air in the crankcase to escape. So often there's a rebreather, maybe a tube that goes to the air box. It's kind of like a PCV valve on a car engine. And the idea is it's putting the air back through the internal combustion of the engine from the air box. But when the bike's upside down, the oil goes through that tube into your air box. So bikes that are, you know, upside down on their side for a long time, now you've got oil saturating either your paper or your foam air filter. Too much oil. So you get your bike fired up. It is going to smoke <laughs> like it's about to blow up. Mm-hmm. So we, if people have never experienced that, they often think, oh my goodness, I've wrecked my engine. No, you haven't. So uh, if you want to, you can take the time to wring out your foam air filter. You know, if you've got a rag with you, paper towels, you can clean out your air box. Or it could be as long as 10 minutes of running for that smoke to dissipate. Mm-hmm. But um, be aware that if that's happened, you haven't blown your engine usually it's just the air box has got too much oil in it because it was upside down. Right. And if it's been sitting there a really long time, you might want to check your oil. Because yes. that oil is coming from your engine lubrication. Yes. So we learned this. We teach children how to ride indoors at motorcycle shows across Canada. So we put up hay bales or car tires as a safety perimeter fence. And if a bike gets upside down... We went to start it up again for the child to continue, and it'll smoke out the whole show. (laughs) So we've learned, get them another bike and take that apart and clean the air filter and the air box before we use it again, because that doesn't help the sport of motorcycling. I always have, I always think of you teaching people at these shows and think, man, it, that must be such high stress. I know it doesn't stress you out, but I think it would me. Everybody watching, you know, you're there on spectacle doing your teaching. Yeah, you have to be uh, kind of devoted to the idea of we might, like if we teach 10 kids, Yamaha tells me that's who sponsors us doing it, mm-hmm. that if we teach 10, one of them will end up their parent in a bike shop And that happens in February in Western Canada, you know, Edmonton, Calgary. It's 25 degrees below. There's blizzards. And mom and dad go to a bike shop and buy a mini bike after the show. So I'm very proud of that, that we've taught 30,000 kids indoors. Wow. You know, first gear and it's governed. So it's very safe. They're in full riding gear. It takes as long to get them dressed as it does to teach them how to ride. But uh, that's really put a lot of people back into the sport, which we need. Yeah, that's that's 3,000 new riders yeah. that, that you put out there. That's amazing. 
We've That's been really... doing it so long now that we meet young adults that said, you know, I, I have a, an R6 or I bought whatever kind of street bike. You taught me how to ride right here in Calgary 20 years ago. <laughs> and that, that's very rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, that would be. Wow. That's cool. But we okay. digress. Uh, yes, I, I know. I just realized <laughs> that. Okay. So you had, so you want to talk about safety tips. There was a couple of things you want to talk yeah. about. Yeah. The main one was don't be in a panic and a rush to lift up your bike. That's a back injury. Mm-hmm. And, or if it's running still or the fuel's still on and it's carburetor, take a minute to relax and figure it out. Okay, my friends aren't anywhere around. It doesn't seem like anybody's coming back to help me. Maybe I can try this method I heard about by myself. And if you have a buddy, tip their bike over in the garage, not your bike. You know, maybe lay a coat or a blanket down so you don't scratch anything. But mm. it'd be kind of nice to know that you can, confidence-wise, pick up a bike by yourself. And a good time to find out is when it doesn't really matter. You know, it's in your garage. Yeah, it's almost a good thing to test out just to know that, hey, if you can't do it, then you will at least understand that yeah. for riding. But but one thing, I mean, you always say, you know, like you, as you just said there, don't panic, don't don't pick it up quick. But the, but my question to you is then, so what are you supposed to do then if you drop your bike, your friends are very close behind and, and you know when they arrive, someone's going to get a camera out. How yes. do you prevent that from happening? <laughs> you can't. But that's ah, that's but, a uh, tough one. It happened to me quite a few years ago now, but I was in traffic and when trucks fill up with diesel, if they go right to the cap, some of it will come out on a corner. So after an intersection, I moved off and I wanted to change lanes. So I shoulder checked. As I did that, I rode over this little pool of diesel fuel because it hadn't rained in days. So it must have been diesel. The front wheel, Jim, it was like the it fell off. It just crash so quickly I never had a chance to do anything so I was doing like 10 miles an hour so no damage just to the ego (laughs) so as I stood up and looked behind me I see a truck with three guys in it it stopped put its four ways on I thought fantastic they're gonna help sure enough two of them jumped out and I thought they're gonna help me lift my bike fantastic I'll have to remember to show them and this is a tip If you get would-be conscientious volunteers helping you, you've got to be the director. They may grab the exhaust pipe or the turn signal or a mirror to try and lift. Mm -hmm. So show them where, and let's do it on the count of three, folks, if you're getting, you know, non-experienced people helping. So that's what I was thinking of as they approached. Then I see the guy pull his phone out. Took a couple pictures. There was some giggling. They jumped back in the truck. So I ended up lifting it by myself anyway. <laughs> I thought you were going to say when you went to lift it up, the, the diesel fuel made the tire so slick you couldn't get it. No. Nope. Because that's, that's a typical one like for mud. You know, you were talking exactly. about Exactly. But you go to pick it up and it just keeps sliding away. That That's difficult. Yeah. And that's why, you know, even if you're in Texas, you're riding cowboy boots, a hard leather sole doesn't work too well or kind of a work boot neoprene sole if you're on a slippery surface try getting traction when you want to lift your bike 
or you mm-hmm. put your foot down at a stoplight and it keeps going, that can either cause a crash or make it very difficult to lift. So I like motorcycle boots that have a rubber sole with some traction grip on it. So the enduro boots I buy, I switch the sole on these CD boots to the enduro because I think it's called a Crossfire 3 that I buy. I've had a couple pairs now. It comes with a motocross boot sole that wasn't envisioning you're standing in the mud trying to lift a heavy bike. So that the flat sole with no tread is no good to me. Clinton, let me ask you, you you're saying you buy these Crossfire 3s and then you buy new soles for them and you swap the soles out. That, that's got to get kind of expensive. What, what's wrong with uh, the adventure style boots that are out there that have treads on them? Exactly. I have a couple pairs of those too. I have the CD Adventure. They're a fantastic touring adventure boot. Mm-hmm. But I do so much off-road on little dirt bikes and big bikes, some motocross training, all kinds of stuff. I've voted for me having a stiffer boot. I want a boot that I cannot fold. If I'm holding it in my hands, I can't fold it in half. So I oh, want a really stiff, good boot. Because I'm envisioning the crashes that I've had, some of them spectacular. <laughs> if I have a softer adventure boot, my ankle is going to fold in that boot. So I've always voted for a little bit heavier, a little stiffer boot for what I do. The Crossfires, they have the hinge on the ankle, a big plastic That's right. Yeah. Yes. And they have these flathead screws on the bottom so you could replace the sole for either your foot pegs have chewed it up after years and years of riding or you've preferred a different kind of sole. As oh, I, I do, I switch to the Enduro one. All right. And so now do you have any more safety tips that you want to yeah. mention? So if you're in traffic, we said, you know, check behind you. Um, hopefully somebody will block for you. And I, this one is a timing thing. Most of us want to pick our bike up two seconds after we've crashed. I say wait a couple of minutes or at least a minute. Take some time to plan out how you're going to do it, which method. Is it in gear? Is the kill switch turned off? Have I shut my fuel off if it's a KLR carbureted? And plan it out. Is anybody going to come help me? Then another timing element that's safe is after the crash, before you ride away, take a couple of minutes on the side of the road. It allows you to kind of analyze what happened. That could prevent a further crash. It also allows time for the adrenaline hormone coursing through your body to subside a little. When adrenaline drops, pain threshold might be uncovered. So adrenaline can mask a broken wrist or ankle. And you'll be able to carry on for a couple of minutes. Riding right after while adrenaline is surging could cause the next crash. Mm -hmm. So take a couple of minutes afterwards. Check yourself over. Is everything moving like it used to? I don't feel any pain anywhere. Then I want to check my bike over. It just was on the ground. Our adventure bikes 
are not 200 pounds. They're generally close to three times that weight. So when a vehicle that weight falls over, it can bend or break gear shifters, foot pegs. They could jam up foldable foot pegs and be jammed in an up position or bent. Uh, I crashed once during a race. I did a little bit of racing, Jim, when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of the time, my goal in racing was to make the other participants feel a bit better about their day. (laughs) That was most, I was maybe not at the back of the pack, but definitely dusty, muddy conditions where I was running. Mm-hmm. So I crashed once and I realized, wow, to hang on to ninth place, I got to lift this bike up quick and get going. So I didn't take my own advice of looking over the bike first. So I jumped up. This was a two-stroke race bike. So it didn't have what we would think of as engine braking. I went flying into the next corner and my plan was to hammer the rear brake on with the clutch in, create a slide, and back the bike back into the turn, get off the brake, and hammer out. Uh, I didn't have a back brake anymore, Jim. (laughs) The first crash (laughs) had bent the brake lever straight up. So when my foot went in muscle memory to where the back brake was, uh, I I heard a little yelp come from my helmet, and I had no back brake. So that second crash was far more spectacular. All this just to hold ninth place and what was there only nine riders in the race? Oh, Jim, that's cruel. <laughs> I think there was 11. Oh, there you go. One other thing to check, Jim, is if your bike has an older style battery, some bikes come with a maintenance type battery where you top up the electrolyte with distilled water periodically, you know, it's a type of battery you can take the caps off. Yeah, it's vented as opposed yes. to most of them now are, are are unvented. That's right. But if you tip your bike over far enough, battery acid will come out the vent tube from the cells closest to the vent tube. And if you get battery electrolyte on a chain or chrome or steel or paint, it's the best paint remover going. Yeah. But it's unsafe if you get it on a chain. It can actually affect the how that chain rolls around anymore because it can ruin it Mm. so make sure that the vent tube is rooted down through the frame below the bike so if it does tip over and you lose battery acid it's not going to hit any component on the bike makes sense and and bikes with these batteries they have that tube but you never know it could be lost so if you've got a vented battery and which is very obvious because it has that little fitting that comes off the side of the battery where the vent tube just slides onto it. Yeah. And uh, that's and, a good point. And of course, it'll eat your clothes and it's obviously very dangerous for yes. your skin and your eyes. And I still, uh, I bought some brand new snowmobiles last year and they had the old style maintenance battery. I never even filled oh. them with electrolyte. I replaced them with a maintenance free battery of the same size. Oh, so, so that's just, a cost thing, is it? Is I it, guess it is, Yes. That's Because it yeah. is a lot cheaper to buy a maintenance battery or right. uh, uh, cheaper to buy one that you have to keep topping up because what happens in very hot climates, it'll evaporate some of the water component in the electrolyte. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because the go. battery yeah. actually boils to charge. That's what they're yes. doing. They're, they're boiling it. So you're, you're getting the, the bubbles forming and, and that causes evaporation. But with the sealed ones, it recoups that, condenses it that and, and drops it back in. So I, I don't know if there's, um, I don't know if a maintenance battery will last longer if properly maintained than a, than a maintenance-free one. That I'm used to be the way sure. that I'm not sure if that's the way anymore. Yeah, I think the, the trickle charging in the off-season, you know, for our part of the world... Yeah, that's really important. If you're not the best thing for a battery is its use. It right. doesn't like dormancy or extreme cold. Right. Yeah, makes sense. Um, just want to go back to picking up your bike, though. You mentioned before you said about doing it in your garage. Don't wait to to be out there because I think sometimes when people do this sort of thing, they listen to it and they think, okay, well, I understand the concept now. I can do it if I need to. But when you're under duress on a trail, it's not the time to find out that, oh, you know what? Maybe I don't quite fully understand this method and end up popping your back out or something. So exactly know it before you, you get out there. I mean, this is so important that you teach it. You mentioned you're teaching it the first of every course, right? Yeah. Um, sometimes we'll wait until somebody falls and then we'll mm-hmm. gather everyone around and say, you know, Joe here volunteered. He was curious on how to pick up a bike. So we're going to use this opportunity. Um, I'm going to lift his bike to show you guys the technique. And then you can all try it with your own bike, you know, if it happens. <laughs> right. When it but, happens. But but otherwise, you take a, you find an opportunity and you drop the bike down and you yeah, say, okay, I've was, got a good spot. I heard your podcast. I think it was a Bill Dragoo. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yep, that's right. Yeah. Fantastic instructor in the States. His son, I think his name's Ben. That's what he did. He rides up to the group of students waiting for their instructor to show up. And this takes uh, some confidence in your own ego to do it. But I've done it a few times now with great success. I just ride up to the group and crash. I'm- <laughs> And, you know, their eyes are open and their mouths open. Oh, my God, this is my instructor. (laughs) But the idea is it relaxes the group because they're intimidated. And the first thing we get out of the way is that, you know, this is off-road. This is an adventure bike with marginal traction. You're probably going to tip over on this two-day course. If you do, don't worry about it. There's no damage to the bike. I'm fine. Let's deal with a couple of different ways of picking it up. And yeah. uh, it's a great entrance to a curriculum and a way to teach, in my opinion. So, Yeah, and it's, and it's what we started out with today, isn't it? I mean, we're, you know, to get over that stigma, yeah. it's going to happen. I think we've covered it. And now the only thing I want to ask you was like for homework or maybe your final word on this. What yes. would you tell people to do? If you have the opportunity, always ride with a friend just for the event of picking up a big, heavy bike. But you should know in the confidence in yourself if you can do it for solo riding. So there's lots of tips we have methods we've discussed. There's lots of stuff on YouTube, but I would try it beforehand just mm-hmm. to test it. Because heavily laden adventure bikes a different animal than picking up the bike you commute to work on. Makes perfect sense. Try it before you, you actually need it. At least you know what, what's involved and you know if you can actually do it or not. Because as much as everybody says, you know, that anybody can pick up a bike, I've seen people have, that can't pick up the bike. Yes. And I'm sure you have as well. So test it out at home. Exactly. 
That's great, Clinton. Thank you so much. Had a great time as always. Thank you. Our pleasure. Take care, Jim. Bye-bye now. One tip for you before we completely wrap this thing up. Clinton mentioned the Velcro strap for holding the front brake on if you get in a situation where you can't keep the bike in gear. Great idea. I've had some straps on my bikes for years that are exactly what he's describing, but never have I thought of using them for that. The ones that I have are called ADV Sushi. They're made by Green Chili Adventure Gear. Green Chili is, of course, you always hear it at the start of the show. They make great stuff for motorcyclists, all kinds of stuff, but they make these little Velcro wraps. They might be 10 inches long or something like that. They've got Velcro on them. They're extremely tough and I use them for all kinds of things. So that might be a perfect setup and and quite inexpensive for you to um, get for your, your front brake if you want to do what Clinton suggested. The website for Green Chili is greenchiliadv.com. Now, the other thing Clinton mentioned there was the uh, pickup method, power throttle and turn lift, where you're using the engine power to stand the bike up. If you want to know how Clinton made out on that, that video that he did for us is in the show notes for this episode. It's the only place you'll find it. You Got to go to our website, adventureriderradio.com, and look at the show notes for this episode. I think you're going to like it. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course you, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this by listening to the show. Now, you can get out there and try what Clinton was talking, even if it's snowing, even if you can't ride right now, at least if you have a garage, someplace you've inside, actually that's probably even the best, you can lay your bike down and try picking it up again. Anyway, uh, I want to mention one other thing here to you. We have another show called Adventure Rider Radio Raw. If you're not aware of it already, it's very popular as well. It comes out once a month. It comes out the 21st of each month. We have another one coming out in another 10 days, I think, or, or less than that. It's all available everywhere you find podcasts, but just drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com. All the information's there. And one other thing I wanted to mention to you is the show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. We would love it if you would consider supporting the show. AdventureRiderRadio.com. Click on support. Anything $10 or more gets you the Adventure Rider Radio sticker. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our Raw show, which I just mentioned to you. And we, we just really appreciate it if you consider supporting. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you so much for listening. And I will talk to you next week. I'm Bridget McCutcheon, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.